0: This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Good afternoon, JP Dental. Hey, how are you? Very good. Let me, uh, let me introduce you, for, for those of you who don't know, you have a really nice resume. Uh, but JP is a former U.S. Navy SEAL and now leadership instructor, speaker, and strategic, strategic advisor with Echelon Front, where he serves as director of experiential leadership training programs. You're also a pro team athlete and spokesperson for Origin, Maine. Shout out Pete Roberts, friend of the podcast, been on, great guy. Um, And you're a pro uh, pro sponsor for Jocko Fuel, an American clothing and supplement company. JP has a signature energy drink flavor, sour apple sniper with Jocko Fuel. You spent nearly a decade in the SEAL teams with three combat deployments, sent to the violent terrorist stronghold of Aramadi, Iraq in 2006 with SEAL Team 3, task unit bruiser, You served as the point man, machine gunner, and lead sniper for Delta Platoon, opposite the American sniper, Chris Kyle, who is in Charlie Platoon. For your leadership and courage under fire, you were awarded a Silver Star, two Bronze Stars with Valor, and the Army Commendation Medal with Valor, helping Task Unit Bruiser become the most highly decorated Special Operations Unit of the Iraq War. You worked closely with SEAL officers, Jocko Willink, your Task Unit Commander, and Leif Babin, and was the driving force of many of the combat operations Jocko and Leif wrote about in extreme ownership. One of the best books on business ever written. Hands down, there's not even an argument there. Upon your return, you worked again for Jocko as a training instructor at Naval Special uh, Special Warfare Group One Training Detachment, where you orchestrated realistic and challenging training scenarios for special operations urban combat training close quarters combat training to better prepare SEAL units for real-world battlefield. You also served as a combatants instructor, marksmanship instructor, and earned your Master Training Specialist qualifications while helping Jocko rebuild and enhance these training programs in the highly effective platforms they are today. And your BJJ Purple Belt, <laughs> which is why we're here. <laughs> My
1: brother. Thank you. Um, uh, thank it's... You
0: Awesome. It's, it's It's really an honor to have you on, on the podcast. Thank you for your service. Thank you for all of your service, both in the military and also continuing it in uh, your work with Echelon Front. It's meant a lot to me personally. Um, the, the work of Jocko and your organization that you now work for, Echelon Front, is some of the, uh, the cornerstones of my business. I adopted, as one of our core values, extreme ownership many, many years ago when this book came out. And uh, many of the principles that we're going to talk about today that you that you teach are some of the bedrock, and what I attribute to a, a very, very, very large portion of the success that I've been very, very fortunate to have. So, pleasure to have you on, JP. Outside of the introduction, where are you from?
1: Uh, well, thank you for having me on board here, and um, it's awesome just hearing what you just said. You know, that's why I love doing what I what I get to do with Echelon Front is. Because you are one of many, 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 many people that have a similar story as what you just said. Like, hey, when I decided to start implementing these principles, things started getting better in my life. All aspects. And it's not that things were wrong in your life. I know for me, things were real jacked up. And we'll get to that later when I read Extreme Ownership on my personal things. But it's just awesome to hear that. And I, you know, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, you know, I was, I'm originally from Sacramento, grew up in the same house that my dad grew up in. Uh, went to the same schools that my dad went to. Uh, had a really good childhood growing up. like there was no like bad childhood. you know, guys were always like, oh, I came from this. I'm like, man, I came from an awesome family. My parents were were awesome. They we had really good relationships with all the cousins, aunts and uncles, grandparents. Um, just a bunch of hardworking Americans that you know loved spending time with family. They you know, we were always in church together. We you know spent a lot of time in church as a family. And uh, I'm very thankful for that being my baseline as a kid growing up because had I not had you know, God in my life, I'd be dead or in prison, no doubt. Right. And you know, he was, God was able to kind of guide my life in the direction that prepared me for the military and the SEAL teams. At a very young age, I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. That's not normal. That's not normal for young kids to be like, hey, I want to play Navy SEALs. Now, I'm not saying that's bad. So, if you're listening to this and your kids are like, hey, I wanna play Navy SEALs, I wanna play Green Beret, I wanna play Army Ranger, cool. To help facilitate that because there's something there that needs to be built upon. So, um, you know, I grew up playing Navy SEALs and I was able to fulfill the childhood dream, which was pretty <laughs> rad.
0: Did you play sports growing up?
1: Yeah, I played all different types of sports. Um, you know, also kind of the unique, non traditional sports. We were on the swim team. My parents yeah. thought swimming were very, <coughs> it was a very important um, you know, sport for us to be a part of. Also, my mom uh, taught step aerobics at a fitness club that had a, a, an awesome pool and a swim team. So it was kind of like, hey, I'm, I'm going to be spending all my time here working. The kids can be doing something productive, which was awesome. Um, you know, We did wrestling at a young age. My dad got me into kickboxing when I was young. So I did kickboxing 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, all the way through high school. Um, and then I uh, used to do like adventure races uh, where you would be like mountain biking, trail running, kayaking type of things. Um, and then, you know, I, I played football one year when I was in high school. It was cool. It just wasn't for me. Like I wasn't like a big football guy. Um, and then, you know, my, my dad was, my dad was a really good football player. I uh, played semi pro football. So I actually, I played football because of him, right? Yeah. It's what he wanted me to do. So I did it my junior year. And then I was like, you know, I did decent. Um, I got in a fight with one of the starters out in the parking lot. Uh, he thought I like did, like, he thought I like trashed his house or something. And so he tried to like embarrass me, slap me when I was in my truck and I got out. And then he yeah. and I was like, try to, I, I don't even like, All I remember is, like, he tried to swing, and I just freaking dropped him, right? And, uh, you know, I got back in my truck, and I left. And that was it. It wasn't this big deal. Well, you know, I embarrassed him because I beat him up, I guess, in the parking lot. And the coach was like, you'll never play on the field again, but you can be on the team. And I was like, peace. I'm out. I didn't care about football. I was like, cool. I did water polo my senior year. Hmm. I actually wish I would have played water polo all four years because I really enjoyed it. I loved it. And uh, my brother and I were actually pretty good at it for only playing it one year. So it was cool.
0: Yeah. I didn't even know anybody who swam growing up. Uh, I'm from New York. Oh, okay. And, um, you know, we we all played lacrosse and soccer and football. But uh, I imagine that wanting to go into the SEAL teams, that was probably a pretty good leg up that you had some swimming ability.
1: It definitely was. I was a very strong swimmer, even though I'm like fat and out of shape these days. I'm still a really good swimmer because of that baseline. And, um, you know, I'm very thankful for that base because, I mean, swimming is very hard in the SEAL teams. Ocean water swims in the ocean. If you're not comfortable in the water, like it's, it's going to be a bad day. And the swim days for me were always the easiest days, which is traditionally – the hardest day for guys going through training so it gave me an upper hand when it came to like rest and recovery and my the mental aspect of it but when I went through seal training I was I was super I was 18 19 years old so wow uh, I also had the advantage there as
0: well so basically right out of high school as you went you went into the seals
1: yeah I was in boot camp on I, I left for boot camp September 5th 2001 and six days later 911 happened when I was in boot camp oh wow and I had a contract wow. to become a seal so I already had that And that just solidified my decision and then made it through, you know, I I go through boot camp, my basic schooling in the Navy for my job in case I was to quit or injured and get dropped from training. Like you have to have a job. Now it's changed. I know it's different. So somebody's listening like, oh, that's not what they do anymore. I know. When I went through, that's the way they did it. Now it's different. And, um, yeah, I, I checked into BUDS and went through training at a very young age, which was good. And bad because I was immature. And I think back to some of the stuff I used to like do and say when I was 19 years old going through Navy SEAL training. Like, man, my ego was like, (laughs) it was insane, man. I I literally was like, cool, I'm Superman. Yeah. Hurt me.
0: There's a book, uh, I wonder if you've ever read it or heard of it called Startup Nation. It's about Israel. Startup Nation, no. It's a great book, but one of the things that they attribute to Israel's success of why it was able to, thur- you know, flourish when it was a uh, surrounded by enemies in a desert with no real natural resources and no real resources of any kind except for ingenuity is that when Israel was attacked in the Seven Day War in the seventies, um, every decision that the frontline troops on the Arab side had to go all the way back up to its highest commander. Very central but, Every single every single Israeli troop that was 18 years old was empowered to make decisions. So by the time that the troops were making decisions, they had already overtaken all the Arabs, even though there was five countries from five angles, from five sides. And, um, and they say that even till today, now that Israel has one of the highest GDPs per capita in the world, it's that still, it's that same thing of empowering young people to make decisions. I mean, is that something that like rings a bell with you? <laughs> yeah in my
1: whole adult life you know, <laughs> because, um you know I, I i experienced good leadership and bad leadership at a very young age in the SEAL team same thing it was just you know you got to drive ownership you got to drive ownership and then when i first started working for jocko when he took over as our task unit commander it was like that was real i was one of our youngest and most junior ranking guys in the task unit and he's just like boom push driving ownership down to me and i'm like I have one platoon under my belt. Like, I don't know anything. Right. We call those guys one pump chumps for a reason. Like, Hey, (laughs) shut up. You're still a new guy. You've done one deployment. When you're a new guy, it's like, you should really shut up. You know, nothing. And, but when you have good leadership, it was like, Hey, yeah, they're new guys, but they still are able to think they're still smart guys. They're intelligent. They're in this community for a reason. Let's drive ownership down to them. And Hey, if they're making stupid decisions, then it's on us to train them to make good decisions and the more ownership you drive the better it is for helping create people the individual thinkers you know that's one of the conversations that our wife and i have been having with our 16 year old and we just had it with him again last night we're like hey do you think i was like which which do you think is more important to teach people how to think or teach people what to think And hmm. he we'll teach people how to think i'm like okay cool Yeah, that's why we're going to be going this route as a family moving forward uh, because we're homeschooling all of our kids moving forward. Um, And, you know, it's hard for him as a 16 year old. He's going to be a junior, right? Finish out high school for us to paint that picture so that he understands like, hey, strategically, this is the best thing for you as a family. This is the best thing for us and you know i said my job as your bonus dad he's, he's my stepson i said yeah. hey, you know, he's mine though said, <laughs> is to prepare you for success in life mm. not for you to enjoy your next two years which you will but like i don't care about that what i care about is you being successful you know you know my wife and i were obviously this is my wife and i having this discussion and you know it was like hey we want you you know and, And so, but what was cool is like, by the end, like he's a 16 year old kid. Like I thought he was going to be like, like screw you or super emotional or whatever. At the end, he was like, it makes sense. Which I was like, yes, thank you. Because for him to be bought in with that means that he's going to make better decisions. So we were able to drive that ownership down to him.
0: Does it surprise you how capable young people are even at 15, 16, 17, 18 years old? Yes, but no.
1: Yeah. Yes, you still like hear these stories like, "Oh, but it doesn't surprise me because I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand. I've experienced it firsthand, you know, at a young age and the more ownership we can drive to our youth, the better prepared they're going to be to make good decisions in life. Absolutely. And they're not going to make great decisions all the time. We know that. Like adults don't make great decisions all the time. But at the end of the day, you still have to be responsible for the decisions that you make. And you have to understand why you're making certain decisions and understand like, hey, that was a bad decision. Hey, this is a better decision. Hey, I need to – if I'm in this situation again, I'm able – I'm better prepared to make good decisions. That's why you know, kids make bad decisions because they don't know what to do. Yeah. They're not like intentionally going, man, I really want to get in trouble. Hey, man, I really want to make my parents upset. Hey, I really want to get arrested at 16 years old and go to juvenile hall. I really want to like, no, nobody wants to do these things. They do them because they don't know what's right and wrong because parents aren't having conversations with their kids. You know, all the crazy stuff kids have access to these days with technology, good and bad, right? Good and bad. I know that. Mm -hmm. And One of the things, I will say my wife is really good at with our kids is talking through stuff. Like we role play with our kids. Hmm. If they're ever in the situation, they've already been there at least from a uh, mental standpoint, meaning that we've talked through this. Hey, if this happens, what do you do? Hey, if this happens, what do you do? Hey, if this happens, this is what you should do. So most of the stuff our kids encounter, they're like, okay, cool. I've already been there with my parents. I know what to do.
0: One of the things, uh, I, so I, I own a number of companies, but one of the, my my biggest companies is called Mixology Clothing Company. It's uh, a chain of women's clothing stores. We have 15 clothing stores. Uh, the average age of an employee is pretty young, probably in the late 20s, or early 20s, excuse me. Uh, we hire 14, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old, predominantly women. JP, I know very, very little about women's fashion, even though I've been running a women's fashion business for uh, 14 years. I, I directly took principles of extreme ownership and infused it into this business. And even with young women, the principles reign true. And I, I synthesized a lot of my learnings from it. And I, and I came up with a saying, and I said, you don't need my permission to make a good decision. Come on. In, yeah. in the event that I don't agree with something that you did, let's talk about it after. And I hope that you and I have a good enough relationship that you're not gonna be offended. And I could say to you, hey, listen, this is the way I would do it next time. And I want you to be on the lookout to just make decisions. If there's a broken toilet, call a plumber lights out, fix it. Just don't walk by issues. Yeah. And I have been, I have made so many believers of senior level managers on this principle because that was me. Like I worked, I always worked. I always had a job. I, and today it's so uncommon, especially in New York for young people to work. First of all, there's a $15 an hour minimum wage. It's hard to hire a 14 year old for 15 bucks an hour. And it's just not part of the principles that, you know, parents have prioritized other things like school and after curriculars and community service and things like that. But I can't tell you how incredible it is to watch young people be empowered this way. And um, they're not that much older than you were when you went into the military. And now you were given a tremendous amount of responsibility.
1: Yeah, I mean, crazy amount when you're 18, 19 years old. I was 20 years old when I checked into my SEAL team. (laughs) I mean, just like, like, hey, cool. You have a top secret clearance. You're in charge of all this gear. You're in charge of human life. You know, like, it's crazy. But we had good training. We had good mentors. And we trained and we trained and we trained and we trained. And a lot of people do not put enough emphasis on training. And what the problem is, Jordan, is people say, okay, JP, I I hear you, but I don't have time to train my team. Like, I don't have the time. Well, that's a lie. We all have time. You're not allowed to say, I don't have time. It's just not a priority. So instead of saying, I don't have time to train my team, say, it's not a priority to train my team. And you'll see how things shift. You're like, ooh, that's not good. I don't have time to do X, Y, and Z with my kids. It's not a priority. And you're like, "Mm." so it really makes you evaluate. Okay. Is it a time thing? Or is it a priority thing? 98% of the time it's a, it's a priority thing. You're not making it a priority. And then people get mixed up on this whole, like, well, training has to be this big elaborate thing. No, could you role play with some of your employees for five to seven minutes before they start the day or during like a break or at the end of the day about a situation that happened and be like, okay, hey, this happened earlier. Let's role play through the conversation. How, how can we better handle that that angry customer? And you do that for a couple minutes. Is that employee going to be better prepared to have that conversation in the future? Absolutely. Cool. That was training. You did five minutes of training that could legitimately – make a huge impact in your business
0: absolutely it's uh most businesses fail you know most businesses fail because they they just can't figure these things out um in the in, in extreme ownership in the book jocko tells a story in which you lived um of of landing in Ramadi and being these elite troops. And now all of a sudden you have to work alongside Marines and Iraqi troops and tankers and and get along with people. And you're like, wait a second. I thought I was going to be working with my whole team. And now I have to work with all of these rookies, different skills, different departments, different people. And um, when I started working and running teams and I I didn't know what I was doing, I just had my natural talent. My dad said to me, listen, listen, You got A players, you got B players, and you got C players. And all you got to do is get the C's to act like B's and the B's to act like A's and extract every single bit of juice out of the A's that you possibly can. And uh, there's a story that you told, and I I just wrote down one quote from it. Now I remember it. And you wrote, you got to call up the tankers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And here's the deal. Those tankers were phenomenal. Let's be very clear. The rookies were not the tankers. They were not the soldiers. They were not the Marines. The rookies were the Iraqi soldiers that were untrained that also now they're like hey you have to train them and also take them out on missions and we're like what <laughs> they're not capable like that's what you have to do okay cool Roger that we'll find a way so I want to be very clear if there's any service members listening we're not calling soldiers or marines or the reservists or the national guard the rookies those guys were phenomenal to work alongside and yeah there were times many times actually that we were at risk of being overrun by enemy fighters and we were running low on ammunition and we just had our small little overwatch team as we were trying to provide overwatch and security for the iraqis and the, the soldiers and the marines and some of our seals that were clearing through and building out these common outposts that We would get on the radio and say, hey, we need tank support right now. This is our location. We need tank support. And those brave soldiers would say, roger that. We're on our way every single time. They were free to do so. Now, there's a few times like, hey, we already have troops in contact. We don't have any resources we can send you away. And we'd be like, cool, check. It looks like we're leaving because if we stay here, we're going to get overrun. If we stay here, we're dead. And so there was times that we literally were just like, hey, we got to go but every time those soldiers were capable and able to come to our position they would yeah and it was incredible to work alongside those guys
0: and uh, just as a point of clarification i was talking about my rookies not the army <laughs> i have absolutely no right to call anybody over there a rookie oh, the, I, mean, I, yeah, mean, I know sure. and it's good and anybody everybody should read this this book to go see it but and it, and it comes down to one word that in business people like forget about this all the time Relationships, Like you had relationships with those guys, right? Like yes. you knew them. You weren't calling up some random tanker. Hey, come here, help me out. Like you, you guys went out of your way. And this was, can you explain like it was rare? Like it, this wasn't, it didn't happen between all different units and branches of the military. Uh, Jocko had a, a, a philosophy around this. Yes. Yes, I want to get to a few points that I think are very
1: critical on this. One, relationships are paramount relationships supersede the chain of command all the time. I mean, they are absolutely paramount to success. And if I have a really good relationship with you, Jordan, do you tend to trust me? Absolutely. Cool. If you trust me, do I naturally have the ability to influence you to make decisions a certain way? Yes. Okay. So without relationships, I have zero trust. Without trust, I have zero influence. Influence is your ability to lead others. That's what leadership is. It's not your title. Your title has absolutely nothing to do with your ability to lead people to victory. It's your ability to influence them, to believe in the mission, to believe in themselves, to understand the mission, and then go take action. That's the most important thing. Like They have to go take action. And if you can't influence somebody to take action, you're not able to lead them. And you're failing. And so it was crazy. And what we were able to do with these soldiers and Marines was unreal because of the relationships we had. And there was countless times where they would get on the radio and be like, hey, we need you guys. And we'd be like on our way, running through the streets, running into massive gunfights, like not running away, but running into them so that we could go be alongside those soldiers and Marines because of the relationships we have. And you know, when you're given the intro earlier, which again I appreciate it. But it's always uncomfortable for me to sit here and like listen to it all. You know, you, one of the things that sticks out to people, if they have like any service background or anything, and I've actually been called out for it a few times because guys said I had stolen valor, um, is the Army Accommodation Medal of Valor. I don't know of any other sailors that have that. I mean, it is unreal to have an army accommodation medal with valor it's crazy like and uh i mean there's some soldiers that don't have that okay and i was at my buddy's boot camp in ait graduation when he graduated from army airborne and all of his his training and airborne and all of the advanced training or whatever and i was in my dress uniform because i was going to be putting you know something on his uniform as part of his graduation and guys you know of course you know sailor team guy you know i got the big trident got a rack of ribbons and so guys would come over and start talking and then they what they would see from the distance is that rcom with v and they come in there like oh, you know trying to call me out and i was like yeah, i was actually worked for colonel clark um in the battle of ramadi a battle of ramadi and sometimes my words i get mixed up um and they'd be like wait you and now he's like a general it's general clark now because yeah. of yeah, he's done from I'm like, yeah, these are the guys I worked with. And you know, this, you know, so and so this unit gave it to us. And we actually they bestowed their the red curry patch upon us on that graduation. I'm uh, not the graduation at that on that deployment. And so for us to have that unit patch is freaking insane. They didn't do it because they had to. They didn't do it because they're like, oh, you know, these guys work for us, we're gonna give it to them. No, they did it because we had a relationship with them. And it, that relationship was so incredibly powerful. And we had the same great relationship with the Marines that we worked with. And guess what? We got shit done. Excuse my language if it offends anybody, I'm sorry. But we got stuff done. And when I'm saying we, I don't talk about we in the SEAL teams. But it's we as Americans fighting together. Soldiers, sailors, and Marines working together. No drama, no BS, just getting stuff done because we set our egos aside and we decided, hey, you know what? We're going to work together.
0: In my business, one of our other core values is people do business with people they like. Mm -hmm. And this story rung so deeply in me because I live it every day. In the first many years of my business, as I was scaling it up, the most common question I would get when, when people would call me all day long was, I called this person. They either didn't pick up the phone or didn't do what I asked. And I'd say to them, and I'd put it back on them, what's your relationship with them like? Well, what do you mean what's my relationship with them like? Do you hang out? Do you go out? Do you go, Have you ever been out for dinner? Do you ask them about their day? Or do you just bark and order at them? I need you to transfer this to me. Or I need you to do something for me. Yeah. And so you know, this, these principles where you were dealing with them were for life and death. And I try to retell these stories and get people to understand that, even though what we do is not a life and death situation, that the principles are so deeply connected. And, and that's what Business jujitsu Jitsu, this, this book is all about. It's about the principles that I kept finding over and over and over again in Jiu Jitsu. And I would work all day, I'd be dealing with these crazy problems, crazy stress, always feel like everything was about going wrong, and then I would go to jiu-jitsu at night and I would be tapping left and right, getting choked out. And we would have these mad chats at the end of the night and we'd synthesize all the information we just went through. And then it would come to me in a snap. I would figure out the answer to that business, this, the business problem I was having. That's right? Right. And uh, I'm interested as you've you know gone on your jiu-jitsu journey. By the way, when did you – let me just take it aside. When did you start jujitsu? jitsu
1: In the teams or after? i was in the teams when i first was introduced to it uh my first deployment we were over in guam so we did a little bit of time in guam and then we went to iraq
0: yeah. and
1: one of the guys on our in my our platoon who's a new guy with me his name is cowie absolute stud i no, none of us knew that but he was leg, a legit legit purple belt in jujitsu at the like back in the day and so Back in the day, legit purple belt, that's like a black belt now, right? And I mean, I'm talking 2004 timeframe, like really good wow. purple belt. He took pre-deployment leave to go to Hawaii to compete in the in the Hawaiian Naga, which is a huge event out there, won the whole thing, and comes back. We go to Guam on deployment. Some guys recognize him there when we're out at this bar, like we get circled up and I'm like, oh, this is not going to be good, it's just big, a bunch of big dudes and like small guys, but they look mean as hell and they're all athletic and their ears are all gnarled up. And I'm like, this is not going to be good for us. And they were like, are you Cowie? And he's like, yeah. He's and they're like, all of a sudden their posture changed. And I'm like, why would we not lead with the smiles guys? But, uh um, they're like, yeah, dude, we saw you like a couple of weeks ago in Hawaii at the Naga blah, blah. blah. And they're like, dude, that was legit. I'm like, Okay, cool. So we're good. We're not stabbing each other, like I'm, I'm, I'm ready to die, you know. And they invited us to come train at their gym, which was in their backyard, which was even cooler. They had wow. this cage set up in their backyard, and that's how all these guys trained jujitsu and and MMA, trying to make their way, right? Wow. And like it was just the coolest coolest setup ever. And that was the first time I did jujitsu. Was there was Cali, and for the gi, we had our cami pants and our top. That's what we wore for our gi, yeah. And which basically
0: is what your gi is supposed to be simulating, right? Clothes.
1: Exactly. And then we just took the top off for no gi, and mm. it was really cool. And then I uh, was years until I trained again. Come back from Ramadi. Now I wish I'd been training when Jocko came in to be our tasking commander. Um, you know, it was like mandatory training for the officers. Man, I wish he would have made it for everybody, right? And I just – I didn't have the interest of showing up early. I just – I'm a, I'm a night owl type of guy. So I was always up late working out, doing other stuff. And then we come back from Ramadi. He opens up his gym in San Diego. So I start training there, and it was it was awesome. It was what I needed. And I always joke, say, that Jocko gave me my white belt. And they're like, what are you talking about? You're not presenting your white belt. I'm like, actually, Jocko – handed me a white belt so (laughs) technically it's true that's about as good
0: as it gets in my book.
1: (laughs) It's a joke, right? You know so and so presented me my blue belt, my purple, my brown, my black, and I'm like, well jocko give me my white belt. (laughs) It just throws people off. I still think it's super rad. And so I was training at his gym. I got out, moved to Mississippi, started doing MMA. So the jiu-jitsu I was doing was all like jujitsu defense for MMA because I was like, oh, I'm a ground and pound guy. I'm a stand up guy. So stupid. I, you know, and I, so I didn't put a lot of focus on my jiu jitsu. I uh, wrestled in junior high and high school. So I had that base. And um, when I moved, when my wife and I, when we moved to Texas, I started training at a gym out here and it was awesome. Got my blue belt, got my purple belt from that gym. Um, good gym, great group of people. Peak MMA and Keller, um, a lot of really close friends mm-hmm. still at that gym. And then my wife and I, because we're moving and my schedule just was worked better for me to be at a different gym. And I got connected to Formiga, who's now an 11-time world champion. Uh, he's absolutely amazing. He's one of Dedeco's black belts and Alexa's mm-hmm. black belts. And he had a connection, so that I had that connection through Origin and Jocko Fuel.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so now I now officially train at Double Five in Highlands Village, Texas, under Flamiga. So that's that's awesome. Pretty
0: crazy. By the way, shout out to Deco uh, who hosted uh, Roll Call Three and uh, oh, yeah. great great dude. Wow, awesome Jim, too. So now I, I revisit the question. You know, you Echelon front makes a jujitsu clinic on the back end of all of your training and sessions. And Jocko is a big proponent of jujitsu. You're on this path now. How, how has, how has jiu-jitsu impacted your life, you know, post this, you know, warrior lifestyle?
1: Uh, It's really, I mean, you know, Jocko talks about this all the time and, I was going to switch out my other shirt that says Jujitsu is Life that Jocka sells on his website. Yeah, because I believe that to be true. I mean, everything that you look at at life. For me, I can connect back to jujitsu. Everything that goes on in Jitsu, I can connect to life. And I therefore I can connect to business. <coughs> Which every problem that you have in your life is a leadership problem. No matter what it is, because remember what is leadership? It's your ability to influence people around you. It's a relationship thing. It's not a title. It's a relationship thing. So when I think about jujitsu, about what I've learned over the years is, you know, the biggest thing with jujitsu is the ability to detach from your emotions. When you're emotional, you're not logical. When you're emotional, your heart rate's elevated. You're breathing hard. You're, you're doing things that you normally wouldn't do. And the times that I catch and beat black belts is when I make them emotional. I play mm-hmm. with their emotions.
0: As a matter of fact, the very first time I ever was made aware of you is a, a very famous internet video of you fighting Pete Pete Roberts at the Origin Immersion Camp. I guess that was up in Maine, yeah. and uh, it was it's like Navy Seal blue belt fights a black belt. That was the the, the clickbait. <laughs>
1: yeah which is not even accurate we weren't fighting. We weren't competing. It was a bet, right? He yeah. bet that – Oh, so we were actually rolling, and he kept looking over his head. And I was like, don't worry. You're not going to sweep me over your head. <laughs> he goes, oh. I'm like, yeah, you're not going to. Well, from that point on, that's all he was trying to do. So if that's the only thing I have to defend, you're not getting it on me. I don't care who you are. And people are like, that's a bold statement. And I'm like, I know, because I know my capabilities. I'm not saying I'm this rock star jujitsu guy, but I'm also not shitty at jujitsu. I also know that I'm somewhat athletic and kind of strong. So if I understand jujitsu and I know my body and I have awareness of jujitsu and I'm athletic, kind of, and I'm strong, kind of. And I know you're only doing one thing. You're not going to do it. I will yeah. literally do everything. I will <laughs> not do jujitsu to make it to where you can't do it. And, and that's what happened. Where all of a sudden It was like, yeah. I was like laying and rolling to my side. Like I was giving up other sweeps and he was getting mad. I'm like, bro, if that's the only thing you have to do, you're not going to do it. He's like, I will get it. And I'm like, no, you won't. And, and then it elevated this big thing and we're talking trash. And then now people get involved in it. And then it became this bet where it's like, okay. This or that because even Jocko was like, Pete, like if that's the only thing he has to defend, you're not gonna do it. And he recognized it and he detached, he's like, Okay. But then what I do, I was like, kind of talking a little more fast. Yeah. I love Pete. Pete, let's be very clear, is one of my close friends. <clears throat> he's someone I look up to as a mentor in jujitsu business life. That guy is I, I love Pete Roberts. If I love you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure we have fun together in life. And so I'm like just talking all this trash, and it became into this big belt, a bet, or is it like okay, seven sweeps or one overhead within 10 minutes? And Pete's a really good black belt. He's a big dude, he's strong, yeah, you know, he competed at a very high level, but that bet was in my favor, and I knew that. A hundred, I was like, oh, really? <laughs> seven sweeps? I mean, come on, man. <laughs> and so it, it turned in, you know, and I won the bet. And it was, you know, we donated the money to charity, to Mama Lee's Foundation, America's Mighty Warriors, that does awesome things for veterans. And so it was one of those things. Well, I've done that with some of the black belts that I train at, you know, at my gym. Now, not Formiga, because Formiga's literally one of the best in the world. He doesn't get emotional. Yeah. But he had Good. That's
0: by the way, good, good callback. We, we went down this path for a reason. And there's something that you say, yeah, uh, which I think is just, it, it gives me chills when I think about it. But uh, the story is about getting off the gun. Yes. And that calm, yeah. and that calm is contagious.
1: Yes. I love that you said that because that's yeah. really where I was bringing it back to. Yeah. I get, and so Formiga doesn't get emotional. Rodrigo, one of his, younger and he's 25, 26 year old black belt, right? I can poke his buttons, he gets super emotional. I'm good. Now when Honrigo's logical and methodical, I'm screwed, bro. He kills me. He kills everybody. And that's one of the things I've learned in life and combat and jujitsu is you can't be emotional. You have to learn to detach. And when we were in gunfights If I'm just on my gun all the time, I don't see anything. I only see what my optics allow me. I actually have to get off the gun. I have to look around and see what's happening. And that's the same thing in jujitsu. You have to have awareness of what's going on. And over time, the more you train, the more you do stuff, the more aware you will be of what's happening. But if you're just grinding, 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 work, 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 hard, you know, you're not going to ever understand what's happening in your life. And That goes back to like proper planning. We would plan out our missions. We would plan out our training. We had plans for, we had SOP, standard operating procedures for everything that we did. But it Mm -hmm. gave us a baseline to operate off of, so that when we would detach, it would bring us back to, okay, this is where we're supposed to be. Cool, we're here. We're good. Hey, this is where we're supposed to be. We're not here. How do we bring it back down? You know, it's, so that's a big thing in jujitsu is is not being emotional, being logical, having awareness of what's happening. Um, you know, I think that's a, a big thing. And then also, you know, learning to breathe. Mm. If you can't breathe in jujitsu, you can't do jujitsu. Yeah. If you can't stop to breathe in a stressful situation in life, you'll have zero awareness and you're not going to make good decisions. And when we make emotional decisions, that's when we make mistakes that can cost somebody their life. You know, and earlier you are saying, you know, you have these people in business and they're not making life, life and death decisions. Now in regards to being in a gunfight, I agree with you. However, if we pull the thread deep enough, if somebody makes a super emotional decision at one of your stores that puts the company in a major lawsuit and now you lose everything, and you have to shut down your locations and fire people, could that be life and death for somebody?
0: Absolutely.
1: It could mean their livelihood, right? Which to some people, if they don't have their livelihood, that puts them in a really bad spot. Now, I know that's a crazy extreme. And somebody listening is like, bro, that's a, that's a little far-fetched. And I agree with them. But the root of what I'm trying to go back to is our decisions can – have major consequences and something as a small thing could turn into a big thing. If we're making emotional decisions and the more logical we can be, the better off we're going to be. And if we can train people to detach from their emotions, then we're training them to win.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. As we, uh, start to wrap up over here, Um, and I have like a hundred more things I could talk to you about, but I'm going to be very, very, Hey, if you want to do it again in the future, I'm, I'm I'm game. Thank you. Thank you for saying that JP. And I, and I'd love to have you back on. Uh, but before we wrap up today, um, the whole roll call seminar, we were there all day. I mean, it was more than eight hours of, of learning and training and role playing. And it was, uh, and it was directed at, um, first responders, of which I am not. I was invited by a very close training partner of mine and friend, was yeah. in uh, the New York fire department. And you were talking to a room of people who do risk their life every single day. Yep. And um, the the part of the presentation that rung the most true to me and authentic was not when you were talking about your exploits in the military and leadership training, but it was actually at a moment where you began to talk about your life after the military, when you felt like your life was falling apart and you were about to be divorced for the third time. And, and you really, took ownership over your life and turned your life around. And that had nothing to do with the military, but I was I was hoping that if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about how the principles of extreme ownership um, just helped in your in your life, in your marriages.
1: In yeah, your marriage. so, which is crazy, is my wife and I were actually divorced. We were completely divorced. So I had already crossed that road again, <laughs> which is horrible. And again, going back to emotional decisions. People get, people get married when they're emotional. It usually doesn't work out. <laughs> um, now, I get it. When you first meet somebody, you're emotional, you're in love, all these things. But the emotions fade, and it needs to be something that actually makes sense. Like there needs to be an actual connection. There needs to be actual love, the difference between lust and love. And that could be a whole other podcast that we talked about, right? Yeah. And so I made some emotional mistakes and decisions, and – You know, when I got out, I I failed to reestablish a new mission and I was struggling and I was miserable and I was a miserable person. And I created all this toxic trash in my life and I had ruined a lot of relationships and friendships. And I ruined my marriage, and my wife served me divorce papers. And we were separated completely. Like, not, I mean, when I say separated, I should say divorce. I mean, it was done. I signed them, gave them back, moved out, was doing my own thing. We had our schedule with the kids. I was paying paying our alimony like or child support, whatever you call it. And um, I read Extreme Ownership. And when I read Extreme Ownership, it was liberating because when I read it, I was like, oh, I can actually take ownership of the situation that I'm in and try to make it better. I can take ownership over my attitude. I can always control how I react. I can always control my integrity. I can always control my work ethic, and I can always control my discipline. Discipline is rooted in the truth that we tell ourselves. When I'm lacking discipline in my life, it's because I've been lying to myself. And I had allowed all these things in my life to fall apart because I was lacking discipline because I was lying to myself. I had allowed complacency to creep in, and it ruined everything. And when I read Extreme Ownership and started looking at the laws of combat and the mindsets of victory as tools to help fix and rebuild my life, I felt like I was in control again. And I don't know about you, but I like feeling like I'm in control. Mm -hmm. I don't know of many humans, if any, that are like, you know what? I don't like being in control. I like when everything else controls my life. No, you don't. People like to be in control. You like to have a sense of ownership. And when I recognized like I could actually fix things, my wife and I, one, we got, we went to church together. And that's another story for another time. Like that's what got us back together because of our kids. Our kids are like, you know, so we went to church and, you know, we, we said, you know, she was like, hey, I think we should do this small group for couples. And I said, okay, this is the last ditch effort. We've tried this back and forth thing, it doesn't work. But if we do this and we go all in, and if it works, awesome. If it doesn't work, then we'll have known that we did everything. And then let's focus on being best friends for the kids. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay, it made sense, right? We had this, it was a logical decision that we made. But the, the kicker there, Jordan, is we both committed to being all in. And if you're in a relationship that's struggling, if both sides aren't all in on making it work, it will not work. You can't force a marriage to work. You can't force a relationship to work. There has to be a decision on both sides. It's just like in business. You can't force a business relationship to work. You can't force an employee to be bought in. You actually have to instill that belief into them. And we believed that we wanted to make it work. We understood the principles of extreme ownership. We started implementing the principles into our marriage. You know, cover move That's about relationships. We actually started covering for each other. We started putting each other first. We started to simplify our communication so that we were on the same page. We understood what was going on. We tried to detach from our emotions and understand, like, hey, priorities shift. Things are going to shift. Again, what's what's number one? Oh, it's our marriage, it's our family. That's the number one priority. And if these things don't align with what our priorities are and what, the, what our goal and the mission is, then they didn't need to be in our life anymore. Mm. And guess what? Sometimes that meant people didn't need to be in our life anymore. That meant friends, family members didn't need to be in our life anymore. And that's a hard thing to do. And then decentralized command was for us in our marriage was us understanding that we both need to be able to make decisions that have alignment with getting the stuff done. And there are some things that I was like, Hey, you don't need to ask me permission to do this because at the beginning I was super controlling and she had had a previous relationship where there was some control issues there. And it was like, no, cool. I don't care. Hey, you want to go buy that? We can afford that. Right? Hey, if it, you know what I mean? Like, Hey, you have access. We, We actually have a shared bank account. You can look say yeah we have we have money to go do this or hey we're a little tight right now maybe we don't buy those groceries and we buy these groceries and there was times where we had no money and we were like cool okay we're gonna use gift cards to go get some groceries and you know i was working odd ends to make ends meet you know Again, another conversation for another time. Like, yeah. it mean, was one time we had seventeen cents total to our name, and you're like, "Where do we? Where? How do we make this work?" But God has always provided, and we've always been very creative with making things happen. Man, I've I've done some crazy odd jobs to make <laughs> money, um, you know. And you know, you can make excuses or you can make things happen. You can't do both. And my wife's a very hard worker and we've always been creative with providing for our family.
0: Phenomenal. I'm going to, I'm going to leave it on that. If you wouldn't mind a second, let me just share information where people can learn about your organization. Uh, First and foremost, your website is, uh, here's your uh, Instagram, JP Dental. Nice. Yep. There's some fake ones
1: out there. Yeah, that's,
0: I think that's the real one, right? That
1: is the real one. Yes, it is.
0: <laughs> all right. Just give me a moment. We'll, we'll get the rest of the real information up here. Echelon Front is uh, the organization in which you work for, Jocko's organization of which you are uh, a member and, a, and an instructor. Yep. Echelonfront.com. Man, you got me all choked up from that, that story. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to get through this. Don't worry. Um, and um here we go and on instagram you have echelon front on instagram to see information on them and i just can't tell you how much it's impacted my life uh this body of work you know this this body of work is mandatory reading for success in business and life yep And the reason I love that story so much you told here at the end is because it it transcends the military it transcends jujitsu. It's, this is how to live, not just how to be successful in in business. And those things are two are connected in an incredible way. You have to
1: take ownership of all the good and all the bad, right? And, and people get wrapped up and I know we're closing it out, but I, I, I didn't, I didn't say this earlier. I want to, I want to make it very clear, like bad things are going to happen to you that you can't control. And so when we're saying, hey, you need to take ownership, it's not like, hey, you need to take ownership of that really bad thing that happened to you. Okay, there are certain things that you just can't control. Like 9-11 happened. I couldn't be like, well, uh, had I been born earlier, I couldn't no, come on, man. Be realistic. But going back to what you can always control, and these are some of the things that I learned from Leif Babin, who was the OIC in Charlie Patoon, who started Echelon Front with Jocko, who wrote the book with Jocko was you can always control your attitude. You can control your work ethic, your your discipline. You can always control those things. Those, those are things that Leif really helped me understand. And he always helped me understand like the more ownership you take, the more strategic you can be for success. And that's where we need to be thinking like, how can I be more strategic to to help myself, help my team, my family, my community to help them win. And if you're thinking about being strategic to serve others, You'll win.
0: The next time we speak, that's what one of the big things I wanted to get to is strategy and tactics. And uh, I love to. And we'll, we'll get there. I also wanted to give Leif a shout out. I, I'm on his email. This is just his email list. I print it out once a week, and it's just a few pages oh, yeah. on leadership concepts directly from Leif, and it is as good as it gets. Like as good as it gets. I just, what you guys even put out there for free? Just subscribing to the email chain is crazy. Yes. Are I you a remember. member of Extreme Ownership Academy? I got it as part of the uh, awesome the roll call, and so I was. I'm oh, yeah. taking a couple classes on there. I actually wonder if my free uh, trial is up at this point because it's a couple months ago already. But uh, I've done a bunch of classes, and I yeah. just absolutely love it. Um, live
1: trainings are worth that. Like live trainings with Jocko, Leif, Dave, the rest of the instructors are
0: pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just it, it's it's almost impossible to describe uh, how powerful that training is. And, and, uh, and I, and I recommend it to everybody. I'm going to roll the outro, hang, hang around for a second, JP, so I can say goodbye and, uh, really appreciate you being a friend of the podcast and being a part of this book. Thank you, Jordan.